Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast, where today we will be talking all about Shadow and Bone, the new TV adaptation of Lee Bardugo's hugely popular young adult fantasy series known as The Grishaverse. I'm Olivia Frico, senior content producer and editor of our blog, The Booktopian, and joining me today is our Kids and YA category manager and resident Lee Bardugo stand, Sarah McDooling. Hi, Sarah. Hello. You know, I've deliberately avoided like trying to hear you talk about it about Shadow and Bone. So that this conversation This is the first time we've talked about it, yeah. yeah. And every time, like, I could hear you and Joel talking about the office, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not listening. So. And Joel is also here. Yeah, speaking of Joel, <laughs> hi, Joel. Joel hi. is our non-fiction category manager and I believe a total Grishaverse newbie. Is that right? Yeah, resident Grishaverse, no, no nothing. Because <laughs> I have watched the show. <laughs> did you finish it last night? I did, yeah. Okay, so you've very, watched very all happy, of... happily. All of the and show. I wanted to watch. I wanted to keep watching, basically. Yeah. Ooh, right. Nice. Okay. So you've watched all of the show, but read none of the books. I've watched all none of the, the show and read all of the books, save Rule of Wolves, the last one. And I've watched all of the show and read all of the books. Right. Okay. Thank you for joining <laughs> me, guys. This is going to be a really fun podcast. Uh, so for everyone <laughs> yeah. listening at home, uh, we'll be discussing our thoughts on the show, talking about what we loved, what we didn't love so much. Uh, things like casting choices, performances, world building, and of course, the immeasurable impact of Milo the goat. Oh, Milo. He wormed his way into our hearts <laughs> and Jesper's. Wow. Is, is Milo the goat in the book? No. <laughs> no, but there's, I've seen a lot of memes that are, because a character from Six of Crows, Wylan, it did not, it has not entered the show yet. And a lot of people are sort of saying that Milo was his stand-in in, in, in season one. You know, I always thought it was pronounced Willen. And so oh, maybe in my it head is. Like, cause it's like it Dylan. could be Willen. I don't know. I've always said Wylan. Like Dylan. Willen. Oh, Willen. Oh. <laughs> so are we spoiling or not spoiling? Oh, yeah. I was just about to get onto that. So, like, while we're not doing an episode-by-episode episode breakdown, uh, we will be discussing the eight episodes in their entirety. Um, and the books. And the books. Uh, so while this will not be a spoiler-free podcast, uh, we'll try to avoid spoilers for the general book series as much as we can. Like, I don't hugely think we can beyond. talk about it properly without spoiling the books. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm sad for Joel. <laughs> just surprising no one. I am pro-spoiler. Yeah. Uh, I think we can avoid, and we should try to avoid, spoilers for stuff that hasn't happened in the show yet. Right. Okay. Uh, and then the books, so that because I want to read the books. Yeah. So now, so you can't spoil the stuff that hasn't yet happened in the show. Yeah. But for stuff that happens in the book in the first in the series, I think we can spoil right. Yeah. So that basically, I'll try want really hard to stick to that, but I make no yeah. promises because a lot of the interesting discussion here is which parts mm. of included and didn't include. Mm, yeah, which might involve some talking about what is in those books. But anyway, we'll avoid major yeah. character Let's deaths. Let's have basically. a. What if we, Joel? <laughs> as what if we have a like warning bell? What if you say Darkling? If we get too close to something that seems like a spoiler for the books, Darkling. Just yell out Darkling. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, realistically, uh, I don't care personally about spoilers <laughs> okay. that much. So it's not going to bother me. It's just you know. For people listening, you know, yeah, do what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you're really spoiler of a probably Tread carefully <laughs> if you don't want spoilers for the book. This is basically for everyone who is a massive Grishaverse fan. And yeah. it's safe to assume that a lot of them have read the books. Though I know people that watched the show and loved it and hadn't read the original trilogy and just loved Six of Crows. 
Oh, what did they? Yeah. What was oh, their take on it? And they they really liked it. Yeah, yeah. and I don't want to get. Can, into can you guys explain how they intertwine? Of course. So the the show is different to the books in the sense that mm. the there's more than one series of books that are being intertwined to make the show. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. Well, Six of Crows, I think I believe is set two years after the last book in the original trilogy. Um, and it kind of, the events of that book are kind of triggered from things that happen in the original trilogy. Yeah, like the events of the original trilogy are quite large world events. So there's reference mm. to them in um, broadly in Six of Crows as like big things that happened yeah. internationally. So because, while you don't need to have read the original trilogy, um, it does help. It helps with world building as well, like, you know, to understand Grisha and what they are. Yeah. Because one of the characters in Six of Crows is a heart render. And um, I think it would, it's useful world building background to have read the trilogy. I did read the trilogy first. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel like I really became a fan with the Six of Crows duology. And I've read that. I've revisited that duology. And I've read King of Scars twice. And I'm really looking forward to read, reading Rule of Wolves. But I have not gone back and reread the original trilogy. Me neither. And now the show has kind of inspired me to do that because I feel as though the way the movements of that first book were twined in with the characters from the Six of Crows duology was really cool and it just made me and, – and I feel – like what do you feel the biggest differences are between mm. book one and season one? I think it takes a sharp turn around about the night of the demonstration in the ballroom with Alina and mm. uh, General Kirigan, as he's called at this point. Because um, at that point, like, that's where the characters of Six of Crows come in and... And start interacting. Ra- yeah, and yeah. start interacting with Alina. And that doesn't happen in the books. They never meet. And I want to talk about that a little bit later, because, but oh. I don't want to... Yeah. So... Shadow of Bone, while the events of the rest of Shadow and Bone, the first book, kind of do play out, they cut out a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I feel Not badly though. No, I think it really works well for it because my memories of that first book were that there was a lot of angst from Alina about not wanting to be a Grisha Mm. and a lot of worry about what Mal was going to think of her being a Grisha and a lot of jealousy from Mal and a lot of like just a lot of angst between those two that was kind of distilled in the show into this like epic romance that cut out a lot of the I don't know do you know what I mean yeah I do (laughs) and that was my least favorite part of the book is that scene where like Mal sees her for the first time and she's all dolled up in her kefta and she looks beautiful and he's like who are you? He has and I like hate that. That's one of my least favourite reactions. Yeah. yeah, I agree. They didn't do that. Mal, Show Mal feels like a really different character to me than Book Mal. And mm. I really like Show Mal. Like, yeah, yeah, I see what I think is missing from what you guys have just said is he's not jealous. No. He he's, he's supportive. He doesn't, have, he doesn't seem to be any jealous, jealous at all. No, he's, he's just confident like, in himself. Amazing. Yeah, so maybe but they bring that out yeah. in season two where he's dealing with, you know, the actual effects of living and fighting alongside 
the sun maybe, summoner. But maybe he's not going to – maybe they're not going to take the character that way because there's that mm. one moment in the show I nearly fell over because I just feel like it's not something – maybe it is. It's been a while since I read the trilogy. <laughs> but I feel like that line where they finally are reunited, mm. um, Alina and Mal, and she makes reference to some poor decision-making that she had vis-a-vis the Darkling during her time at the Little Palace – and he says something along the lines of, you know, you don't have to explain yourself to me or it's not my place to like, mm. you know, he's, he steps right back from it and he's like, that's yeah. your business. And I'm like, that's not a, that is a show, Mel. Yeah. It's that recognition of the fact that Alina doesn't, hasn't chosen anything that's happened mm. to her. It's literally, she's just trying to deal with it and react with it. And he's and that, recognizing that. Yeah. And that she doesn't owe him anything. Yeah. Whereas Book Mal was all like very... He was a bit of a possessive jock. of her. Yeah. He was like he was super popular and he's like handsome and attractive and fit and like everyone loves him. Um, Golden boy. Yeah, Zoya's literally throwing herself at him. Yeah, go Zoya. I mean, that does happen in the show. yeah, that does happen in the show. But like, it <laughs> makes really him such a like a bit of an asshole because like Alina feels so insignificant next to him and she's like, why would anyone ever look at me? Why would he be interested in me? Like, yeah. Whereas he, when she show, does have those rare thoughts, she doesn't let herself really yeah. think. You just never doubt their connection in the show. They're just mm. soulmates in the show and it really comes across very well. It's a very different – it's such an interesting way of seeing the same story with the same characters and bare bones, mm. everything is the same, but just really interpreted differently. It seems like they've made a, a special effort to try and um, maybe update the sexual politics of the book a bit because I was yeah. reading an, an interview uh, last night after I finished this series with um, uh, Ben Barnes like, who mm. plays uh, – the general mm. and he he was saying there's a scene in one of the first in the early episodes where they sort of have a almost I think they might kiss but that's all and in the book he says and I haven't read this so you guys can confirm it's a lot more like he sort of pushes himself on her mm. and is a lot more sort of aggressive and the way it was written in the screenplay was always that she would be more assertive to try and have her have more agency. But then he decided to, to make it even more so. I think he, he said something like, are you sure? Mm. And even that, even though he's like, you know, a very morally ambiguous character, I think uh, it's still interesting that they decided to make that more complex and yeah. make it like... He- he they still don't want to make him a rapist, right? The Darkling asked for consent. That was, that was amazing. I, yeah. I forgot. But and, also, and, he was, and, and the actor was saying, like, that's because he wanted, even though this character, you know, yeah, is morally ambiguous, he wanted to make sure that, um, you know, that you don't just hate, hate him for that reason. or that, mm. And also that it changes the way that you perceive her character if she's just led to this position. And he said, even as it is, it's obviously not okay because he's got mm. so much more power over her and yeah. there's still so much more going on. But like the fact that they thought about it, yeah, mm. huge age difference. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little always, bit about... Always Alina. a trope in YA fantasy. What I get it that? though. It's like, it's young girls reaching for that experience and that like mystique and that darkness. And it would not ever happen in real life. Who do you know that's 400 years old? So like... I feel like a bit of the moral <laughs> hand-wringing over the age difference of characters like have that humongous age difference. I'm like, I mean, yeah, but also there's more to it than just, yeah, he's older than me and he's hot. Like, I think there's I a deeper psychological draw there that no one's really explored, but, but even, I find interesting. Yeah, but even 
even without the fact that this character is hundreds of years old, I feel like seeing on screen a like 40-year-old man and a mid-20s girl who, you know, admittedly he's looking really good for his age and she looks quite young for her age. Mm. Like it was different than reading it because – Yep. Where did you fall live when you read the books? Were you a, were you into the Darkling and Alina or were you only always Only because supportive? I didn't like Mal in the books. And yeah. he was kind of like the only other option. And yes, the whole sexy like like villain, sexy villain trope yeah. is like very up my street. But like Totally works for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's sexy. And like as he's haunting her throughout the second yeah. book, it's like, oh yeah, you He's very compelling in the books. It's really hard. He's a scene stealer. And Mal is like a little bit, you just kind of want him to go away. Yeah. But I don't (laughs) think I ever wanted Alina and the Darkling to end up together. No. And I know it's a hugely popular ship, Mm. but I think the show actually destroyed it for me altogether. Yes, completely. And I don't know if it's because, um, oh God, what's her name? Jesse Maylie and Ben Barnes lacked chemistry. They had so much chemistry in like all the shorts that we saw, but... More, I found the scenes with them a bit, a I little just, bit boring. I feel like the in comparison, they lack chemistry is because they did such a good job of establishing her with mm. Mal before she ever meets the Darkling that nothing can like all of those montages of them running through fields as kids mm. and holding hands and like epic scenes of them together. You you can't undo that. Yeah, they spend they spend a lot of time on it. Like yeah. I was really I, I I had a whole journey with their relationship at the beginning where obviously mm. they were best mates. But there, there's a part of you. There was a part of me that was like, "Oh, are they just best friends?" At the beginning, and then you get to have the little. I mean, obviously, mm. knowing what the tropes of these things are, I knew there must be more. But at the same time, I, I let myself believe, "Oh, maybe they're actually just friends." But that then there was that thing, scene, not then... knowing anything about the story. <clears throat> yeah. But then there's like a obvious twist on there, and that's that. That's fun. <clears throat> but then I, I was totally on. I, I, I do think they had chemistry, the, um, the general and Alina, um, and he was. But the, you know, I think that that trope is a trope for a reason. It's because it's always appealing, right? Mm. But this There's was kind of appealing like a, about choosing the dark. Yeah, this was like an epic battle of the tropes because you have <laughs> the like sexy villain trope coming up against the friends to lovers trope and like I think in the show the sexy villain in the show the sexy villain trope kind of doesn't compete with the friends to lovers trope in the book maybe yeah the sexy villain trope dominated a bit (laughs) yeah and it's interesting to watch the fan reaction to Lee Bardugo kind of pulling away from that because I I think it's very like she's entitled to feel about a character that she's created, like she has every right to feel the way that she does. And well, and she's deeply involved in the show, right? So yeah, she, she's quite deeply involved. She's maybe driving a lot of this. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of pushback against her for like not giving the ship its proper due. And I'm like, which ship? she's the creator, and also she's entitled to feel about a character who has done awful things. Like, no one's she, saying yeah, he hasn't. She's always maintained that. Yeah, the and Darkling I've, is a bad guy, and like, and I've never doubted that. And while yeah, I feel too. like I feel I had the same. Feeling as you live, I enjoyed the dynamic between her and the Darkling and he was more compelling and interesting to me than Mal. But I never wanted her to end up with him. Mm. I sort of always could sense in the bones of the story that Mal would be endgame. Yeah. But he was just, you know, every time the Darkling was in a scene, it was all you wanted to do was pay attention to mm. him and yeah. Mal couldn't compete. 
And that's kind of part of the show. Sorry, Joel. Sorry, John. Oh, I was just going to say. The show has has an interesting. (laughs) Sorry, I I think I'm on delay. So I can't. You go. You go. I'll I'll wait. Oh, I was just going to say that it is kind of part of that whole dynamic that Alina and the Darkling have is that they're the only ones, kind of, with their power. If you don't. Well, the Darkling doesn't count Bagra, but he is alone in his power. She is alone in hers. And he's Mm. so drawn to her uh, because of that singularity I think and, and he's been waiting for yeah. the Sun Summoner for so long so so long <laughs> so that is a good point but <laughs> he likes to affect this like thing about how he's the only one but like what a mummy's boy <laughs> yeah it's really true <laughs> <laughs> he's like I'm all alone except for my mummy except mom, for my mummy all the way every time <laughs> oh, can I just say I disliked the extra backstory they gave him like that his the woman, the healer that he was in love with was killed. Was that in the I books? liked it. Look, my I memory... I don't like it because it was like they fridged a female character to give him a tragic They did fridge a female which character. Which I didn't like. I hate when that oh, happened. Oh, yeah, they definitely did that. And I thought, like, it's I been so long since I've that seen that. I line, but I didn't know whether it was in the book or not. So I, had I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't think it is. Purely because of how long it's been since I read the trilogy. And everything got... Like, when I read Six of Crows... My that overshadowed the original trilogy for me, and so when I think Grishaverse, I mm. think Six of Crows. Yeah, and, um, me too. And like those characters, like that cast of characters was just so mm. brilliantly done, and I loved seeing them on screen. Yeah, so we talk about weren't it? they so perfect? They were great, and yeah. I will say that I think, like, they did a really good job of integrating Jasper and Ej and Kaz's storyline with the events of Shadow and Bone. Like, mm. having them as a heist, like, go on a heist to try and kidnap Alina was, like, so crazy that it worked. How relieved were I you? I was totally – I would never have guessed that they were different stories. It was completely well, – it's not even – that Yeah, that – all of – everything that they do, those three characters do in this first season of the show – isn't really from Six mm. of Crows. It's kind of like a yeah. prequel for them. The only events that actually happened is all the thing with Nina and, Ma- and Matthias. Matthias. Even that, it was pointed out to me because I remember that from the books as well. Yeah. But then it was pointed out to me that that's a flashback in the books. Yeah, and so, so that was makes the sense only thing. for it to be happening at this part of the timeline. Yeah. And yet I felt that the link to Nina and Matthias, I, th- I pronounced it Matthias in the book. And so it's did Matthias. I. So did I. The link, I felt is that the Matthias? link with, yeah, Matthias. Matthias. I felt the link with Nina and Matthias' story was a bit weak. Well, they're not like, linked yet. They're, they're not linked of... and they need to happen so because that mm. becomes relevant later in we Six of Crows. We have to know all of their backstory because it's going to start at that beautiful place where mm. he's hating her for her perceived betrayal and she's just trying to like get him out of prison or whatever. Yeah, it's great and I we need the, to know that. Uh, I got really confused and thought that she was the character at the beginning the other, other heartrender heart oh, yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. I thought she was the same person and that she had worked with them before. Oh, no, they haven't met her. No. The so they haven't even met her, which now makes sense. At they the were met, the supposed period, to meet that's, her that's at some point. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I got that. And but then I thought that they had actually already met her and they were just, you know, catching up with her again. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until the very, it wasn't until the last episode where I was like, oh, they, that's right, it's a different person entirely. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a different uh, heart render. But I, I, I'm really curious to see what you guys, obviously this is another trope and <laughs> possibly also a theme of the whole show or the series um, is this sort of redemption arc mm. of an extremely toxic male character. <laughs> Wait, do you and, mean the Darkling? 
No, I thought he meant Matthias. Oh, Matthias. Redemption yeah. arc is yeah. such a dirty word I in culture see, these days, but I love them. I don't see it as a redemption for him. He's just getting rid of some brainwashing and then... Yeah, that's true. And he has every reason at this point in the story to believe that he's mm. been... that it was all a trick and that yeah. she tricked him. And so now... It's not so, it's not so much about the end point, it's the beginning. The idea that mm. he has spent an indeterminate amount of time kidnapping women and taking them yeah. to their death. But this uh, is with with no compunctions, yeah. And it's just that he meets this one that he has a bit of a crush on, and he's finally just like slightly changed his mind, and she's actually trying to engage with him. Only Nina Zenik, only Nina, de brainwash a like. They're my favourite ship in the oh whole God, series. I, I have to say, yeah. Look, that's the thing. Like I've heard this on the on the the internet and from you guys, and I'm just I I am not quite there yet with these two because no. I, I I kind of like. I, I can't, especially so, the turnaround so, by the end of the by the end of the first season is that he hates her again. I'm like, dude, yeah. you were going to take her to get her killed. Like, <laughs> this is one of those times where I you feel like the framing of so so to put it in context for you, Joel, all of yeah. that is from Six of Crows, and it's a flashback that we get to explain the dynamic between Nina and Matthias when this when Six of Crows starts. And so he's, you know, in prison and she wants to get him out, but he hates her. And, like, then you get all of this stuff in flashbacks. So I guess uh, they are as well, within the context of that story, they are just two of, like, six point of view characters. Mm -hmm. And they all have their, you know, the, the whole point of Six of Crows is that they're all these damaged characters with a lot of baggage and they have to, like, and, you know, maybe like morally grey, <laughs> like they've all, yeah. they're all kind of, you know, criminals and thieves and uh, gamblers and spies. Yeah. And, and everyone's, mm. you know, traitors and killers and that's their whole deal. And so I guess every single character in Six of Crows moves through some sort of half redemption that gets completed mm. in the second half of the duology. But all you've seen is the flashback section of one of those mm. Stories. And yeah, I think the whereas crucial... you guys have the have the current. We've got more context. You have yeah. a, a, yeah. a romance yeah. and where it goes to in your head. Mm. But I, all I have is this guy. He's like pretty entitled, you know. Like he he starts off well, literally capturing her and enslaving mm. her, and then he's going to take her to a trial that he knows is going to result in her being killed. Mm. But the thing um, is, he believes in the validity of that trial, which I think is so telling because the older you get, the more you realise how arbitrary the justice system kind of is. And it is true of that world. And he's fully indoctrinated yeah. into the... He's the, the star Drisella. pupil. They haven't really introduced Carl Jarl Brum, yeah. who is the head of the Driskella. And he's kind of, he's, he's Jarl's like, top student. He's the cream of the crop, which is why it's such a big deal for him to... The like, fact that Nina turns to him Nina. is like crazy and then to have him like the the star of the i can never say it driskella driskella join a band of criminals in kirch like it's just it's wild but we've got all that context and people who watch the 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 witch hunters Hunters. hunters. yeah okay Grish, grish hunters yeah yeah okay that see that's not even that clear that or the only yeah you see are the are them basically yeah, we haven't been in Fjorda much. You want to murder everyone. Yeah, you don't. Well, you go to. Well, Fjorda's kind of a big part of Six of Crows, but it's not until the King of Scars duology that you really get into the heart of it and actually 
get more Fjordan characters in, yeah. in the mix. Oh, um, I can't. We're straying really close to spoilers. Yeah, so we're gonna, I nearly said something from <laughs> King of Scars that would give away. Big, yeah, we're going to bring it back. Story stuff. Bring it back. So why don't we talk about some back. of the other crows? Yeah, uh, I want okay. to talk about Kaz and Inej. But oh, you, look, Inej. you look like you want to go on another tangent, Sarah. So I was going to talk about Jesper, but let's talk about Kaz and Inej because they are I have possibly, many. I love many I love Nina and Matthias, but Kaz and Inej <laughs> might be my favorite ship of the whole thing. Oh, they are pretty great, but I feel like they did too much with the show. You, do, you think so? I thought yes. they were quite restrained. It takes him like two whole books to even admit that he needs her and he's already up yeah, front and saying true. it. And that's a little bit frustrating because it's like Kaz is such but he he's such an emo soft boy. He's still heart. like one thing, one thing they did not go into in the show at all is Kaz's whole deal. Like mm. I think if you watched the show and you hadn't read any of the books, you would get the idea that he's, you know, a little bit emotionally repressed, let's say. Just a little. <laughs> but you wouldn't get the scope of it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think, um, Freddie Carter, who plays Kaz, I wasn't 100% convinced, mostly because I was kind of looking for Tommy Shelby from Peaky Blinders <laughs> and I kind of... <laughs> He got like 75% of the way there and I wasn't 100% convinced. I agree that he didn't match how I imagined Kaz to look, but I, I thought yeah. he captured the Kaz spirit. But perhaps you're right that he was a little bit more, he betrayed a little bit more emotion in this prequel than he mm. does in like the majority of Six of Crows. Yeah. But Inej, I thought was brilliant. Inej was spot on and mm. ja- Jesper, exactly Jesper as I imagined him. I will say that I don't like that Inej meets Alina and talks to her because Inej's whole thing is that she has this faith. She has such strong faith in like the saints and she loves Sancta Alina Mm. and she believes in her without ever having met her or ever having had proof. Interesting. And so it kind of takes away from that a little bit, having her meet her and talk to her and be like, I find I love that you. such an interesting viewpoint because it didn't occur to me. For me, it was like, you know, when something that has never happened in the book that you kind of would love to see happens. It was like mm. a treat. I was like, oh, my God, and they're just talking to Alina. Like, yeah. <laughs> so they never meet. No. Well, I haven't read Rule of Wolves, but you have. So I'm assuming that means they do. Never ever meet. Hmm. No, I, I can't say anything because I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> um, look, look, I don't know. That's just my thing. And that's why. But I love that the show's I, I, brought I, them I, all I together. I take your point. I think there's, a, there's an, always a tension in an adaptation like this where when you're in a book, you can drag things out so much more because you've got other point of view characters, you've got other arcs, you've got other stresses mm. but if you have a character that just doesn't have any growth in a in the whole series of a tv show yeah not a whole season of a tv show then you just feel like they've got they're, they're just a bit character like they become mm. a character that's just complete part part of the scenery so i think if you want to to show the the viewers that the character is going to be important to the story then you have to have something happen with them, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that was her mini arc of this season is her sort of coming to terms with her religion or faith or whatever. And he, and, yeah, um, and has sort of understanding it. That's, that's, that's all I got from them really. And a little bit of like, there's a highly repressed in, interest that Kaz has in her. Obviously. And he, cause so you wouldn't, you wouldn't know this, I guess, because it's not really emphasised in the show, but he can't, has a touch a virgin. He can't, like, touch 
people. Yeah, that's, that's why, why he wears always gloves. wears gloves. And so he's just extremely – he's a powder keg of repression. And, um, and she is kind can't of – can't touch a virgin. A virgin. <laughs> a touch, touch a virgin. <laughs> a virgin, the word, oh, the single a word, a virgin. Yeah, but also, <laughs> I mean – can't, can't ever touch a virgin. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Okay, I should have phrased like it. Oh, he that's not good in relation to an Inej. aversion to touch. And, and yeah, Inej is definitely not virginal. I think, yeah, that's why I think there was enough there with kind of touching on her past in sex slavery. Oh, I love and Inej so much. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like it's such a... I really liked her in this, yeah. I must say. Mm. She was awesome. Yeah, I can never decide uh, who my favorite character is in this world. It's all the the biggest forerunners are all in Six of Crows, but also Zoya. Zoya uh, has become like Inez, she's awful Inez, in Inez. season one, but Zoya becomes one of my uh, all time favorite characters. She in has British a Universe. great journey. Sarah yeah. said that to me yesterday, and I couldn't believe it. She's <laughs> worse in the books. It's there's but, a lot of like what I don't like about Shadow and Bone is there's a lot of like bitchiness between Alina and Zoya mm. and it's all a bit like I'm not like other girls and it was like I was I was reading a couple of people talking about this on Twitter and they were like it was early 2012 that's what it all was YA was like ago. yeah it, or, a lot of YA was like yeah were expected and we've come to outgrow them a bit and we expect more or mm. we expect something different yeah but this was written you know so post me too that it's like yeah. Not even, not we even have the funny. Darkling asking for consent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I love getting. Yeah. I love the way the show has provided the opportunity to revisit the story and kind of mm. alter it a little bit in that way. Yeah. So like, you still have mm. Zoya's essential like. She's still bitchy. She's still bitchy, and like the whole her whole thing is that she's like she has quite a sad backstory as well, um, and she strives for perfection because she can't be anything else. And she was the Darkling's favorite, and then Alina shows up. Mm. Of course, you'd be pissed. Um, and I like that yeah, they turned it down a little, a little bit, bit less. Yeah, you get a little bit less of it being like a like you you get the moment where she, Zoe comes into the Darkling and says, well, you know, I used to call on me, blah blah blah. But mm. then you didn't get the impression, a strong impression before that of just jealousy. It's it's more. I've got the impression that it's more complex than that. The reason that Zoe doesn't like Alina at the oh, beginning, and there are characters um, that haven't come into it yet that that are part of her story that I just can't wait to see play out. And that's all I'll say about that. Oh, I know. That is I, quite liked, I quite <laughs> liked her by the end of the season. Mm. And then, you know, even the fact that she said, she says to Alina in the last episode, like, I still don't like you. Because <laughs> she's still Zoya. She's yeah. still got to be Zoya. I really, I loved in that final battle in the show where she switches sides. I love, that's what trope I love in anything is when, someone you know on the on the side of bad that you've come to empathize with you really want them to cross over mm. and that moment when they do and they start fighting with your faves and you're like yay that was just getting flashbacks really to return not what, what is it the last Je- the, the la- no oh, yeah. not the last jedi the one before that um the rise of the sky skywalkers uh, no <laughs> the second no it's the last jedi yeah <laughs> in that scene where ray and and um what's his name kylo ren start fighting together and it's so good oh yeah yeah you that, love like, it i love, love those moments uh, the, that moment when yeah, a villain becomes a hero it's really it's mm. really great and to see to see zoya joining the good side and also have kaz and jessima and inez part of that good side mm. it was 
oh, it was just a joyous experience for yeah. uh, as a fan of the book. I loved that in this series, yeah, the side characters scene. get to shine a little. Yeah, which is I'm I'm trying mm. to segue this the to talk about Jasper. The... Oh, yeah, sorry, Joel. Joel, speak. <laughs> Joel, I'm sorry. I was just saying the final the final scene in the not the very final, but one of the, one of the last scenes in the TV series, which is that that group who had fought him in the in the fold, mm. all sort of hanging out together. And I was like, oh, I like this gang. It was kind <laughs> of fan servicey. It, it was. I very loved it. Yeah. It was like that episode of Game of Thrones where they all just hang out at Winterfell and chat. Like, I really, <laughs> I really liked seeing them all together. It was it was wonderful. Yeah, but I'm getting the impression that's not an ongoing gang. Nope. <laughs> so well, they've all got very stuff. separate stories to go and to go through. Yeah. Um, that happen in like different um, parts of the world. But mm. they will all, you yeah. know, interact at like some Game point. Of Thrones, definitely in that sense. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of Game of Thrones, this show was really violent. It was parts. like I was not expecting. It. Except, like, they were, like we had people getting sliced in half on that screen, and falling, a, slicing apart, oh, like, that, and steaming in the snow. Oh. That was that turned my stomach a little. And like, oh, the scene that got me was um, when Mal and his two friends. I'm sorry, I cannot remember their names. Like, oh, no, they I. get attacked by Fjordans because they cross over into enemy oh, territory. Yeah. And like, as he comes to, one of them is being like viciously stabbed. It was very, and very yeah. brutal. And how wild was it to see the cut brutal, but in real bloodless, life? I thought. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Actually, I it, guess in like, comparison. It, like re- realistically, if you slice someone completely in half, there would be so much blood and gore. Yeah, they always just fall apart really neatly. When <laughs> but, they, but it was like an anime, you know. Yeah. It was still very cartoonish in that sense, even though it was very. Yeah, it's one of my violent. least favorite things. Is when someone gets cut in half and it takes them a second to realize they've been cut in half and then they flop on the ground in two pieces. I hate it. <laughs> I, I'll be happy to never see that again, to be honest. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> it's such a weird trope. I know. It is weird. And who wants that? I don't understand why we keep getting it. But but one thing I really do like is the way, so having read the book and the Darkling's like signature move of the cut and seeing it in real mm. life was, and also seeing the, um, the Grisha hand movements in real life was mm. wonderful because when there's such a I don't know everyone reads differently but often I will just take the concept of something and run with it in a story and not actually pause to imagine what it looks like in my mind and I don't think yeah. I've ever fully imagined what the cut would look like or what those hand gestures would look like in reality and they were visually I loved it it fell a little flat for me, the hand movements. Really? I was a bit too reminded of the terrible live action version of like um, Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, and I don't know. Yeah. Like, I found the hand movements ever. a little bit cartoonish. Oh, I really but the actual, But like, the actual effect. I didn't mind that. I don't know. That's no, just like a very, very effect. tiny gripe that I have with it. Um, but I also felt that the final battle was very underwhelming. I found the really? last episode the weakest. Yeah. Oh my god! I like, thought it was amazing when the Darkling manipulates Selena and like expands the fold. We barely see anything actually happen apart from that first wave of people get taken. Like I wanted to see the town panicking. I wanted like I was so caught up. In, oh yeah. I wanted more from that scene, and it just fell flat. And it was like you didn't realize the actual scope of what had happened and what Alina will now be blamed for. You know right. I mean? From like, my point of view, I thought, well, maybe again, it's just context because yeah, I know really a lot of point. what's coming. But I felt it because Zoya was there saying my family lives there. And so mm. that was, to me, that raised the stakes. Yeah, but you, you don't understood. see her family. 
yeah, so you can't connect happen. to them on an emotional level. It's a really good point. I actually, as, as someone who hasn't, I was like, oh, maybe they, maybe they headed off the worst of that. No, no, <laughs> like, I, I did I not. I don't know what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, because it's like so such a big part of. Did the whole town get absorbed or what? Basically, or most of it at least. There'll be consequences shown yeah. probably next season. And it weighs so heavily on Alina because it was part of, you know, she had no agency. It had been removed from her. And her power was manipulated to make this happen. Oh, and it's awful. Of, it's an awful moment for her and it weighs on her so emotionally heavily. Yeah. That didn't make sense. But, but, you know does, but is it her power that gets – like, that's the part that I find confusing about he all stopped her of it. From like, away. he needs her to control it. So yeah. when but he goes she, in – She's the only thing that can – The way that – the reason on. he's been waiting for so long, as I understand it – correct mm. me if I'm wrong, Liv. Again, it's been a while since I read the first trilogy – but he's been waiting for the Sun Summoner for so long because he can't actually enter the fold. Um, when he enters the, Volcra the fold, the Volcra like attack him, as we see them do um, in that. Once uh, yeah. uh, once she takes her power back, they all land on him. As it as it turns out, I guess he could have gone into the fold and been attacked by them ages ago and like just enslaved them. But mm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he's that last avoided scene, the fold. The very last scene of the series oh, was very scary. cool. Where he's like, yeah. But he spent hundreds of years yeah. thinking that he can't go, ever go in there because he'll be destroyed and he needs a sun summoner because the combination of their powers would allow him to be in the fold and controlling the fold. Yeah. Um, but he so has now to also... he can expand it at will and he doesn't get hurt when he goes in there. But <laughs> well, uh, he, could, he couldn't shrink it again. He doesn't have her power anymore. So we see him mm. emerge and I guess he's got control of yeah. the ability to create and he wants to expand the fold he wants yeah. to use it as a weapon yeah but like. now that he no longer has her powers he now he needs her again yeah to um have the full control that he wants and he also you know yeah. i don't then we're straying into spoiler territory again but <laughs> let's talk about the amplifiers and the 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 horns of the stack and how gross they look. Oh, I didn't when they realize they were going to do that. <laughs> it was so disturbing. That doesn't happen in the book, does it? Look, or is it it's one clear? of those things that I didn't envision. So, yeah. like, I didn't see it. It was going very effective. like that, and it was it was so off putting and it, very it well done. It was so gross. Yeah. yeah, it was almost enough to turn me off. It. Oh. In fact, Anna, my partner, said while we were watching it, she goes, "Well, this might be the only thing that would stop me from reading the books." Don't <laughs> tell her not to worry because I don't remember. Pretty sure it's just an, a collar that yeah, gets attached. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't remember it. If it's described like that in the book, I must have suppressed that memory because that is some horrendously like grotesque body horror. Yeah, but also it really, yeah, it really is powerful in getting across the horrible thing that's happened to her. I don't know yeah. if I would have felt it to the same extent because it's such a violation and such a betrayal and such mm. a horrible disgusting thing that's happened and you really that is visually represented very well that yeah. Disgusting yeah. Thing. yeah and yeah. also compounded by the and then you feel the frustration of that her, moment her where she chooses to save her. mal <sighs> instead of killing the stag i was watching it with my boyfriend and he's like she's a fucking idiot and i was like yes but she's a teenage girl in love and yeah also yes she's an idiot because i love this version of mal in the show like perhaps a million times more than the book version of Mel, yeah. I was like, you must save him. <laughs> like I didn't even have yeah, a moment 
where I feel I was like, like he had so many near-death experiences. <laughs> Poor Mal, who's always getting stabbed and then healed and stabbed. He's and so healed. weirdly indestructible. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why haven't he died? Like the wounds that they showed him having are so bad, and then he's still like carrying a backpack at the end. And all we'll say, Joel, You've just got to keep watching. Perhaps there's answers to those questions. <laughs> Who knows? <gasps> we know. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Spoiler adjacent. <laughs> Darkwing, Darkwing. <laughs> we are heading on close to like 40 minutes with this podcast and we haven't talked much about Jesper, who oh. we were going to talk about and then we got sidetracked. Jesper but I love him. stole the show with Milo. Yep. Kit Young, if you ever listen to this, we love you. You are perfect. Never has... A... I, I adored him. Yeah. He was so good. And, I, and you would think as well, oh, this is... Is this I can't say that. Okay, I'll say something else. Um, <laughs> so he is the closest, I think, any adaptation of a book character ever that I've seen in any adaptation. Never has it been so exactly as I pictured. Mm. Um, well, he was just he just was no. Jasper. Yeah. Oh, and the way he was with those guns, like, oh, that's yeah. so cool. What an amazing and <laughs> and should we talk about Milo the goat? Because what a delightful surprise! <laughs> <laughs> I loved the whole reveal of oh no, the goat is for you. <laughs> I know, that yeah, was, at the end when the of, goat has the of bullet. light in a very dark moment. <laughs> He's like, I'm not sacrificing yeah, the goat. <laughs> I loved that crossing scene. Like, yeah, I, even though it kind of is jarring to think of like any of the crows crossing the fold. Yeah. It's so funny, that scene. It was it makes so it so well done. And then I think it's an episode later or perhaps, yeah, it's much later when they're in the bar and they all just, Jess was like, well, that was, and then they have a little flashback scene <laughs> where, where it's just all of them screaming and the goat. Like, I really loved that moment. I laughed so much. Because sometimes when they add those funny, stupid little things, like the, it, it grates. Like the one thing I can remember is the, do you remember the shrunken head from the third Harry Potter movie in the night bus? And it's got this Jamaican accent and it's like borderline oh, racist. Yeah. And it's that like, you watch it back and you're like, oh God, why? Yeah. I was so worried it was going to be like one of those moments, but Milo Instead. lives on in everyone's <laughs> hearts. Even just the first mention of the goat was funny when he's like, okay, you get the, I need gunpowder and something Goal else and logical and a goat. And Kaz is like, I'll get the goat. I'll get the goat. <laughs> and it's a very cute goat. Oh, Milo's the star of the show. It is a very cute goat. Mm. I was like, I want yeah. a goat now. Dangerous thinking. <laughs> Who knew they would be so like I, I cuddly? Quite liked it. <laughs> I quite like that Jesper starts off as like your classic fucking liability character. Mm. <laughs> like he's joining the team, but I mean, yeah, you can shoot, but geez, come on, guy. Like, <laughs> you know, mm. he's got one job is to get the coal and he, he then brings down yeah. The entire force of soldiers oh, on them. And then, that, like, you yeah. just feel like mm. he's, a, he's a Han Solo character. He really is. Yeah. Is. He's oh, so that's good. such a good analogy to make. He's, he's a rogue. I, I, I love those characters mm. always. <laughs> and so he was just brilliant. And then to have him be gay as well was so yeah. great. I loved that. And I mean, I don't, I haven't read the books. I, I assume he is in the books too. But um, yeah, he he just, it's just a wonderful. He literally twist got a hero. On an existing so character. He does. Yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> look, I don't think this is too spoilery to say, but like, 
you know, Jasper has a whole story that plays out over two books and there is perhaps a character that we haven't met yet that might be involved in his storyline. Um, you would uh-huh. think that seeing him, you know, with other people, you'd be like, oh, that's not right. But I, it was amazing. It was, cute, it yeah. was wonderful. I'm like, you have your fun. You get yours, mm. Jas- Jasper. Yeah. I always a little <laughs> bit want to call him Jasper. But I love Jasper. It's yeah, just... It's such a good name. It's sexy and it's fun and it's cheeky. It's unexpected, just like Jasper. Yeah. And he has the a name. real problem with gambling. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a real problem. Yeah, it's not true. just there for, like, lols. It's something that he ha- actually has to deal with because it also becomes a liability yeah it's a real liability to have a gambler on your liability and the problem is (laughs) that like kaz can only see people in terms of their liabilities for the mission that they end up on later yeah and it's about him acknowledging them as human beings as well and admitting that he cares about them oh my god i love what i mean i love that i love the crew so much how much did you want to like scream for joy when you realised they were going to pull that heist in the and get the plans for the little palace. You're like, they're heisting! They're heisting! It's time! <laughs> <sighs> Sound the heist siren. <laughs> it was so good. And I was so shocked to see Kaz in costume. It was so, it felt like <laughs> when he showed up as that artist, I'm like, what are you wearing? And then he, he pulled it off. I know. Yeah, that was also a classic heist heist oh, trope. Yeah, of the, let's dress up in a soldier's mm. costume, even though we're from a different country. Wouldn't have the same accent, and nobody knows us. <laughs> and I'm sure it will work. Mm, it's it's totally helps. fine. <laughs> I just, I just love I that. Like, I always love, I've always loved that trope because you just think. I mean, it works. I guess it works in Star Wars because they literally can't see each other under the helmet. Anyway, these, like, the and these soldiers would have all trained together. Like, how would they know? And they're like, who's this guy? guy that they've never seen before. <laughs> but we all just accept it in a show like this, and I, I still loved it. Because oh, their second uh, heist was, isn't a fun heist. It's a, well, you have to go get this thing that has very serious complications and consequences for this world. If you don't pull this off, we're in trouble. Yeah. And like, so but there's not a lot of fun hijinks in Six of Crows heist, but this one was fun. I mean, it's fun in a way, but you're right. The stakes are really high. It was fun to see them just do all of that for a map. Like it was just yeah. like, no one's life is in the balance here. We, we want you to get the map. We, I'm mm. glad to see you get the map. It was fun. Yeah, it was like fun. And just and it, was, it was coming relief to some extent in the show that was mm. otherwise fairly dark when you think about what was actually yeah. happening. Yeah, um, like, so I think you did, you did need something like that happening. Otherwise, yeah, very true. the show would be a little bit grimdark, I think. It would. You do get um, the sense it's trying. There's like, there's a void, a Game of Thrones void. And I feel like at the moment, The Witcher and Shadow of Bone are like kind of going toe to toe, just going, who's it going to be? Who's I think, be? I mean, this is off topic, but I think the thing that will eventually fill that hole is the Lord of the Rings show. But, All the um, Wheel of Time. The well, the wheel of time, one. yeah, that could come this through in surprise. Was, yeah, this to me, I mean, I, I know. I don't it's, think I don't think there necessarily needs to be one. Yeah, me neither. I think that's a brilliant thing. I'm putting my studio executive's have, hat on. You know what I mean? Like going, <laughs> there's a power yeah, vacuum here. Sense. We need to fill sense. it. One thing we can thank Game of Thrones for is paving the way to have all of these fantasy shows. Yeah, because yeah exactly. high budget fantasy. I shows. love these shows. I love that we're getting a throne of Earth. We're getting everything. We're getting, yeah, what was I? I love that we're getting a Shadow and Bone show. I love that we're getting Richard. And it looks good. It looks pretty good. I love that we're getting, yeah, it's great. And they may not have all been made if we hadn't had Game of Thrones to bring fantasy into the mainstream. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, 
what a strong first season. How many seasons do we think it's going to get? I was trying to think about this because I don't know where they're going to take the crows next because the events of Six of Crows doesn't happen until two years after Shadow and Bone I trilogy I think they're going to bring it forward. So you reckon? Actually, if I that had makes to sense. guess, I would say they're going to – okay, again, mild spoiler, a, a part of Six of Crows um, – you know, world is the, is a drug that enhances Grisha powers. And I feel like that yeah. would be a good complication to add to your second season. And it gives... Um, oh, yeah, especially if the Darkling wants yeah, to get hold of that. Yeah, so if they bring all of that forward a little bit and we have some version of events in Six of Crows going on in tandem while Mal and Alina are, lo- are off with, like, characters with that we them. haven't met yet yeah. that are important... Um, uh, Dealing with their stuff. And you just say Sturmhond, it's fine. <laughs> it's true, right? Because that would mean nothing to anyone. Mm. Um, and so... <laughs> it means nothing to me. He's yeah. the best. Anyway. So. Yeah. I so look forward to season two just to see them. But mm. I guess we've got to wait at least a year. Yeah. Have they longer. actually confirmed a second season? Or is it just... I will be devastated. I know. They can't. It's so successful. Uh, I feel yeah. like they it's would, so wrong. They would 100%. If they haven't yet, they will. Yeah. already very successful, I think. So. It seems to have been so well received. I haven't mm. like everyone seems to love it. Yeah, it's true, and it's got yeah. it's certified fresh on no, Rotten Tomatoes. Whatever that means to you, um, has there been a big uptick in sales of the books? Yes, there have. Excellent. Um, we had some issues sourcing a box set in Australia, um, mm. so you know we've. We've got a bundle set up to get the first three books oh, together at a good price. That's fine. Now we've gone to a really salesy point. Yeah, like, we can. Pop on web to <laughs> www. anyone has <laughs> the second and third book in the original Grisha trilogy with the original covers in hardcover. Oh, yeah, cover, you want those. I would like those because I, <laughs> I started this series and I bought the first book and then they changed the cover while I was like, oh, like it must have been, the plans must have been in the original covers were. I got one of the really last good. original covers, and then the second and third turned up, and they had new covers. And I'm like, I remember that you were so mad. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's, petty, to go it's to little it. petty things. I've like looked on ABE books. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was someone selling them on Depop for like a hundred dollars, and I was like, I am not paying that, or am I? You might need to replace your first book in the new covers, <laughs> but I don't want to. I like the old ones. You know, I've got a proof. This is how long ago I read. <gasps> Shadow and Bone is that I got a proof before the publication, the Australian publication of it, where both books were out overseas. And so they created this proof for the Australian market uh, where books one and two were bound together. Oh. So I've still got that. That's how I read books one and two is in this bound proof. Interesting. And um, and and then I went and I, I, as soon as book three came out, I got book three. Like I talk about all the issues I had about not liking Mel and stuff, but I was still so into the story. And yeah, I definitely it's wanted a great to read story. It. It's just that I didn't I, – I guess Six of Crows came along and just upped the ante so mm. much uh, for me in the series that it's now my favourite. Yeah, and it's kind of got – it's so saturated in the market that any time a heist YA book comes out, everyone's like, oh, it's just doing Six of Thro- Six of Six of Thrones? Six of, Six of Crows. I keep, I keep wanting to say Thrones like, as well. There are so of many. Game of Thrones. Yeah, but there are so many great heist thief, like, 
books already in the YA sphere and after that like yeah like what's that one it's adult fantasy and the gentleman bastards um oh lies of lacomora yeah Scott like that's, oh, I love that. that's a great fantasy heist yeah incidentally if you're looking for more read likes of the shadow and bone books we put out a blog post yesterday um which is books that have like slavic fantasy themes but also heist themes so head on over to the blog at yeah. www.hooktonia.com.au <laughs> but no really like it, I had so much fun putting that post together because I asked you and I asked Eden who's um, Sarah's assistant and like, yeah it, I love a fantasy heist mm. and I I do feel that Lee Bardugo's YA fantasy heist really did start a wave because mm. now we've we've mm. seen a lot of similar did you, ones did you put the night watch in oh no I didn't Shivers. We should have, we should have discussed I, I this with Joel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Those books are so good. Oh. And they're also uh, Russian fantasy. But they're actually Russian, written by Russian. God damn. By Russian. Oh, no. They're great. We'll just have to make uh, a revision. Very, very different. <laughs> great. Yeah, no. yeah. There's so much. It's, it's, uh, it does feel like a very rich world, I must say. So yes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to reading them. Because I can't wait a whole year to find out what happens. No, you have to read. I, I so want to discuss the Six mm. of Thrones duology with you. And you're, I'm really looking forward to reading Rule of Wolves. I intentionally saved it until after the show because I knew that I would have. That um, one's been quite contentious. People really? either love it or really hate because I'm not going to say who, but Lee brings back a character and people feel like she only brought him back for fan service. Oh, I know. But like, it's interesting. And I, feel I like think I know who. I, it's, I know it's one who of those is, series yeah. where, like, the fans have kind of claimed claimed the series, and the author's kind of beholden to the fans a little. But I feel and she's like doing she's her own thing, so which I still respect. Good at doing at just doing her own thing. Yeah, she never gives you ex- like she never yeah. just gives you what you want because no. that's too easy and it's like it's boring in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, if she would give people what they want, certain characters we lose across the way would not get lost. <sighs> But anyway, that's sad. Um, moving on, we'll finish up. Oh, yeah. I, it's up yeah, to you. Yeah, I say think we should we'll finish, finish up because this is nearly an hour, and I'm just thinking of poor Nick who has to edit this. Yeah. But I do want to just <laughs> yeah. have a little call out to one of my favourite scenes, which was brand new material not present in the books that I I can't be present in the books, and maybe there's a version of it, which was that moment where Jesper is just hanging out at the carriage, waiting for everyone to convene. And along comes Alina and like deposits herself in their their carriage. Like that's <laughs> it was such a good moment. And then like Inez and Kaz come back and they're like, like we we've lost her, we've fucked up Inez, let her go. And she's like, just get in the carriage. He's like, ask me where she is. It was, and they're just like refusing yeah, I loved to. That, thing. that was it wonderful. Was go on, ask me. Oh. Bravo, everyone involved. Mm. Bravo. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was it was brilliant oh, loved it really thanks so much for having me onto the podcast because i got to uh uh chat with you guys about it and hear some of the stuff about the books that i can look forward to yeah thanks really for that. you've you've got such a good experience ahead of you i'm very jealous mm. i'm gonna yeah, probably have, reread everything yeah yeah. yeah, and the real treasure will be, you know, the friends I make along the way. <laughs> <laughs> they might slit your throat, but they're, they're good friends. <laughs> which, they, which they brilliantly use that line in the last episode, which is <laughs> wonderful. I love, I love how that line's become a meme. <laughs> anyway, that is probably all we have time for today. Um, 
if you're interested in watching Shadow and Bone and for some reason haven't watched the show, sat and listened to us talk for an hour. Interesting choice. You. Interesting choice. We don't <laughs> we don't judge you for it, but go ahead and watch the show on Netflix Australia. It's out now. Um, thank you so much to Sarah and Joel for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You guys me are on. awesome. Um, Thanks so much. <laughs> um, for anyone listening at home, you can find all of the Grishaverse books by Lee Bardugo on the Booktopia website. I believe we have an awesome bundle, like um, awesome books oh, one to three. Books one to three. Price. There we go. Oh, if I go off script, it's really bad. <laughs> um, as always, we'll link to them in the podcast description box. Um, the Booktopia podcast is produced by Nick Vasiliev, and you can find more episodes of this show as well as other fun podcasts on our SoundCloud and Apple podcast channels. You can also find more fun bookish content on our blog, The Booktopian, including a guide to all of the books in the Grishaverse series, uh, as well as our recommendations for what to read next. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au